Mike grew up in a typical blue-collar family, playing street hockey and pickup football in local parks. He was always a good student and excelled as a three-sport varsity athlete in high school. During his senior year in high school, Mike had surgery to repair a broken wrist due to a hockey injury. Following his surgery, he was prescribed an opioid pain medication. Shortly after this, his wisdom teeth were removed and he was written another prescription for opioids. Mike believes his use of prescription opioids transitioned to addiction within three to six months after first taking prescription opioids. He did not realize how physically dependent upon opioids his body had become until it became very sick from withdrawal after forgetting to bring his prescriptions on vacation with him. From then on, he continued taking prescription opioids not to treat any pain, but to avoid feeling those withdrawal symptoms ever again. As his addiction progressed, he recalls completely losing sight of his goals and the things he once loved. Mike eventually had to stop playing sports in college and drop out of his classes. He became depressed and described his addiction as isolating. It's sad, isn't it? How a story like this seems so innocent. How Mike could have been you or your best friend in high school or college. A simple injury where you took what the doctor prescribed to you and without knowing it ended up addicted, dropping out of college with nowhere to turn. The saddest part is that this happens to more young adults than we're currently aware of. As somber as it is, in 2017, about 75% of drug overdoses among 15 to 24 year olds were related to opioids. Two in three adults treated for opioid use reported first using opioids when they were younger than 25 years old. In the past 15 years, the use of opioids has skyrocketed as well as opioid-related overdoses and deaths. Despite these staggering statistics, this age group is rarely prioritized in policy discussions surrounding the opioid epidemic. What makes part of this epidemic so challenging to conquer is that many do not realize those close to them are addicted until it's far too late and those who find themselves addicted feel hopeless and unsure of where to turn. So what is being done about this, you may ask? Where did all of this come from, and how can we prevent it for the future generations to come? After hearing about Mike's true personal story, you're probably wondering, what even are opioids? Well, opioids are a class of synthetic and semi-synthetic opium-like compounds that are derived from natural opium alkaloids. More commonly, these natural substances are referred to as oxycodone, hydrocodone, codeine, and morphine. These are available to those who are seeking pain relief but must be prescribed by a physician. We've all heard of heroin. Well, did you know heroin is an illegal opioid made up of these synthetic agents? Although opioids are primarily used for legitimate pain relief and prescribed by a doctor, the drug affects the pleasure sequence of the brain, releasing high levels of dopamine, a chemical that gives off a feeling of euphoria and other sedative-like effects. This, in turn, causes the drug to be extremely addictive. The opioid crisis in America is a growing epidemic that has resulted in over 33,000 deaths since 2015. Well, where and how did this all begin? Going back nearly 100 years ago, there were little known facts and lack of evidence on these addictive substances. Rather, they were openly administered to patients as a pain reliever 
without much thought given to their adverse addictive effects and the likelihood of dependency. Over time, opioids became increasingly abused and misused, which has ballooned into what is known as today as the opioid epidemic. In the 1900s, the St. James Society in the U.S. issued issued samples of heroin to morphine addicts who were trying to overcome their addiction. Opioids were openly prescribed to to treat severe pain. Excuse me. In 1924, the Heroin Act declared manufacturing and possession of heroin illegal due to the increased amounts of patients noticeably abusing the drug. A number of medications derived from opioids, such as codeine, oxycodone, and morphine, were still able to be prescribed by doctors. In 1950, the FDA approved oxycodone to be prescribed to patients, which began the start of the continuing drug problem in the U.S. today. Overprescription of opioids by doctors has contributed significantly to the dependence on the drug. In 1969, the World Health Organization disregarded the fact that morphine was highly addictive because of how well it took away the patient's pain. Crazy, right? In the 19 in sorry, in 1990, US citizens urged doctors to prescribe them opioids for all sorts of pain. It was not until 2015, after 730,000 people were admitted to the emergency room and thousands more died that the FDA decided not to turn their head any longer. So how was this once readily prescribed pain reliever developed into an opioid crisis, into something so large that the President of the United States had to declare it a national emergency? For many years, the opioid crisis existed only on the outskirts of political discourse. Opioids have always had negative side effects, but they were seen as a problem for individuals or local communities to deal with, rather than a systematic national public health issue. Convincing people that a systematic issue is not merely an individual one is a tough task. Unfortunately, it seems America had to learn the hard way how bad opioids could be. In 2018, an estimated 10.3% of the U.S. population, age 12 and older, had misused opioids. In that same year, there were around 67,000 drug overdose deaths. Nearly 70% of those involved an opioid of some sort. This number is four times higher than it was in 1999. Needless to say, the opioid problem in the U.S. has reached crisis levels. We are now in the grips of what the CDC is calling the Phase 3 of deaths. This one involves dangerous opioid synthetics like fentanyl that are causing deaths to skyrocket. However, it is not merely synthetics that are causing deaths. Pharmaceuticals and street drugs like heroin account for a good chunk of deaths as well. This problem is definitely not going away on its own. So, what is to be done? A big victory came for those seeking relief from the effects of this crisis in 2017. As he promised to do in his campaign, the president addressed the opioid epidemic. He declared the crisis a public health emergency. He also unveiled the Initiative to Stop Opioid Abuse, a plan to attack the crisis with the full power of the federal government. His plan revolves around three parts. Part one is about reducing demand and overprescription, as well as public education for patients and their doctors on the dangers of opioids. Part two is about reducing the supply by cracking down the illicit drug trade and supply lines that are used to provide illegal opioids. Part three involves helping victims of addiction with support and treatment services. In 2018, he also signed the Support for Parents and Community Act 
into law to promote increased research and provide treatment to those on Medicaid. While these reforms have a lot of support, those across the ideological spectrum have a lot of thoughts on policy. 63% of Americans believe that pharmaceutical companies are to blame for this crisis. On the other hand, 58% believe that addicts are to blame. It seems that Democrats are more likely to blame companies and the government, while Republicans are more likely to blame the victims. Where the blame goes is important because it influences what the policy is. If we were to hold uh, companies, doctors, and the government accountable for their misdeeds, then their victims can seek compensation and wrongdoers can be held accountable. On the other hand, blaming the victim for their addiction allows an argument to be made that tax dollars should not be spent to assist those who are suffering from a problem of their own creation. The President's declaration of a public health emergency directly refutes the victim-blaming argument. He makes a step to address the problem itself, rather than making the issue one of personal responsibility. If the issue is addressed as a systematic one, as President Trump is declaring it as, then systematic changes can be made. While the President's declaration is most definitely a step in the right direction, some would say that it is not expansive enough to truly solve the scope of the problem posed by the crisis. The greatest fear in the current situation that, while uh, supply may be cut off or treatment may be offered, is a systematic issue being solved. It is basically impossible to know the answer to this question right now. But it is a good sign that this administration has taken the crisis seriously and is putting forth tangible efforts to stop it. This hesitancy in some groups is understandable, though. The U.S. has a rough past when it comes to dealing with drug use. The infamous war on drugs was a resounding failure that has caused far more problems than it solved. Luckily, it seems that this will not be that. It seems that the White House is making solid strides to solve the problem. But it is not just the president who is setting policy for this issue. Officials at all levels of government are making valiant efforts to stop this crisis. In light of the information presented, here's a condensed version of President Trump's speech on the opioid crisis. In this speech, he touches on some policy as well as a good bit of political posturing. Note especially how he positions the public health effort to fit within his pre-existing policy positions. By doing this, he makes the response to the opioid crisis seem like an organic part of other reforms he intends to implement. Here's the president. Effective today, my administration is officially declaring the opioid crisis a national public health emergency under federal law, and why I am directing all executive agencies to use every appropriate emergency authority to fight the opioid crisis. This marks a critical step in confronting the extraordinary challenge that we face. As part of this emergency response, we will announce a new policy to overcome a restrictive 1970s-era rule that prevents states from providing care at certain treatment facilities with more than 16 beds for those suffering from drug addiction. We're working with doctors and medical professionals to implement best practices for safe opioid prescribing. And we will do something very, very special. We are requiring federally employed prescribers to receive, finally, special training. The U.S. Postal Service and the Department of Homeland Security are strengthening the inspection of packages coming into our country to hold back the flood of cheap and deadly fentanyl, a synthetic opioid manufactured in China and 50 times stronger than heroin. And in two weeks, I will be in China with President Xi 
and I will mention this as a top priority. And he will do something about it. I will be pushing the concept of non-addictive painkillers very, very hard. We have to come up with that solution. We give away billions and billions of dollars a year, and we're going to be spending lots of money on coming up with a non-addictive solution. For too long, dangerous criminal cartels have been allowed to infiltrate and spread throughout our nation. An astonishing 90% of the heroin in America comes from south of the border, where we will be building a wall which will greatly help in this problem. Every person who buys illicit drugs here in America should know that they are risking their futures, their families, and even their lives. And every American should know that if they purchase illegal drugs, they are helping to finance some of the most violent, cruel, and ruthless organizations anywhere in the world. Illegal drug use is not a victimless crime. There is nothing admirable, positive, or socially desirable about it. There is nothing desirable about drugs. They're bad. As we've been learning throughout this podcast, the opioid crisis continues to take many adolescent lives. So what exactly is being done about it? In this section, we explore the many large-scale and smaller-scale policies that have been or must be implemented to start making a real difference. Like we mentioned in previous sections, the government is continually making changes to stop the opioid crisis after they realize that they can no longer ignore the issue. It is important to help medical providers offer the best services for users. Early detection for prescription drug misuse is important, and it would be easier for medical providers to do this if reimbursement from the federal level was an option. The United States has an early and periodic screening, diagnostic, and treatment benefit, which provides health care and preventative services for children under 21 who are enrolled in Medicaid. This benefit can be expanded on even more for those who may not have insurance coverage or access to medical care. On a smaller scale, policies can be implemented on a community level to help young adult addicts. Community outreach programs are extremely effective in helping these young adults, especially those who may be homeless or in a tough situation. Having peer support workers or recovery coaches who help these young addicts on their journey to recovery is extremely important. The more communities who have support programs for youth and mobile outreach programs, the bigger difference it can make. Along with these outreach programs, a lot of young addicts are in a school setting, so it is important to implement policies in schools as well. Having school programs that facilitate a comfortable setting for addicts to come forward is extremely helpful. Many schools, such as in Massachusetts, Wisconsin, New York, and many others, have begun creating these programs for screening and treatment. These are only some policy implications for the opioid crisis that we are looking at. There are so many more policies that can be implemented and things that can be done to help this generation. The U.S. Department of Health and Services has an entire page dedicated to the opioid crisis. If you go to hhs.gov opioids, there are different policy treatments for a community and local level. 
There is a grant opportunity section where someone can find funding opportunities for their local community. There's also a national hotline and many different resources provided. All it takes is a small step to begin something much bigger. Remember Mike? Well, after multiple recovery attempts and a hard-won battle, Mike overcame his addiction and is now thriving in recovery. He returned to school, earned his bachelor's degree, and is currently pursuing a graduate degree. Mike is now a passionate advocate for those struggling with addiction, a certified intervention professional, and the founder of Wicked Sober LLC. His business is a Recovery Centers of America company that assists those recovering with drug and alcohol dependency in the process of achieving recovery. Before we say goodbye, I just want to recap on some interesting things that you need to remember in order to make a difference. Number one, be open to helping people that have an addiction. In today's society, people with addictions are looked at as crazy or unstable instead of being looked at as a person that is trying to find help and just needs a friend to give them support. Number two, be educated on this crisis. Many people do not realize if their loved one has an addiction because they are not educated on signs or symptoms that a person might have. Many people also do not know how to handle a situation where their loved one has an addiction. And number three, be aware. Most people do not even realize when they have an addiction problem. For example, Mike did not even know until he began having withdrawal symptoms on vacation. Be careful when taking prescription drugs because you never know if you are that person that will become addicted. If everyone implemented these three points in their lives, addiction would probably not be as much of an issue as it is today. The drug talk needs to be done more often because addiction can be stopped. If you ever feel like you are addicted to opioids, please call 1-844-289-0879. This is the National Drug Helpline for Opiates. Seeking help is the most important step in taking action to overcome an addiction.